This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor at large. And and it's at time of the year in, in uh, award season where um, things start really picking up, not just in terms of the movies that we're seeing, but the events that are going on. And you can't ask for a more uh, appropriate event to kind of get into the the heat of Oscar season than an actual Oscar-related event. And that's what you did this past weekend with the Governor's Award. So for those who don't know, tell us a little bit about what those actually are, and um, you know, how did it go for you? How, how were the speeches? Who did you see there? Well, this was the eighth one that they've done, and it's over at Hol- you know, over at Hollywood and Highland, and it's um, a dinner, and it's um, all the governors of the academy vote for uh, the honorary Oscars. And, so the, um, this is like the electoral college of the academy, basically. <laughs> the top So there's dogs. a board of governors, and there's two people or, or three people from. I, I'm, I'm for some reason I'm having a mind meld right now, but it's it's um it's there's representatives uh, of each branch uh, on the board of governors. I think it's three from each, and um and then uh, they vote. And so uh, this year they went with Jackie Chan, and that's a great one because as an action comedy star global. And he's an enormous, he's one of the biggest stars has ever lived. If you think about the reach of his popularity all over the world. And he's, you know, in the tradition of, of Chinese opera and, and of Buster Keaton and, and of the great action stars like Bruce Lee, Hong Kong, martial arts star, but he's way more than that. So he got an honorary Oscar and he, um, talked about watching the Oscars when he was a kid and, and his father sort of saying, hey, Jackie, you've gotten lots of awards, you know, why don't you ever get one of those, you know, <laughs> so he finally delivered. And uh, and then the other one went to the wonderful editor uh, of Lawrence of Arabia, sort of groundbreaking um, woman editor named Anne B. Coates, who's a British lady, and he, she's been on the board of governors. She's a wonderful woman, and she's done, you know, she's done things like Unfaithful and Fifty Shades of Grey, and and you know, she knows how to do sexy stuff. You know, she's she's great. You know, and she did Oscars she did the uh, she did the one with um, the what, what is it the Soderbergh one um, with uh, in the trunk with. Uh, the great sex scenes with George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez, out oh, of sight. Out of sight, yeah, yeah it's a great yeah. one. But yeah, no, it's, it's it's an interesting range, too. I, it makes me wonder, just hearing you talk about those two, if the Oscars wanted to at least represent diversity better on the, on the actual telecast you know that would have, those would have been great great things to count on irrespective of who gets nominated right so basically these awards are uh no longer part of they used to be but there you you may remember someone like sydney lumet you know t- tap dancing on the oscars right. or, well, or uh, uh what was it altman gave a great speech a couple of years ago where he yeah, said i'm not so dead they yet. used to do those now they the, they they stopped because it took up a lot of time and it was and the, for abc I don't think they thought that this was going to help them with, with you know, 
pleasing the audience or ratings or anything like that. So actually, I love this event. It's one of my favorite events of the year, along with the Oscar nominations lunch, because you just get a chance for all these different people from different parts of the industry to truly honor their own. The other the other one who was honored was was Lynn Stallmaster, the first casting director. And they've added a casting director branch, you know, casting branch of the Academy. They still don't give out an award forecasting. I mean, you, you could look at the SAG ensemble award is sort of a, you know, that would, but it goes to the movie. It goes to the whole act, all the actors in the movie, but they still don't take care of casting directors. So this is, um, Lynn Stallman is like the, the great one. I mean, I just got a kick out of the idea that he was one of the first guys to sort of go around the world and discover people from other countries and put them in movies like The Great Escape. You know, uh, that, that he was he getting out of the people. Hollywood bubble in some way. Yeah, right? he really discovered people. He really nurtured town. And all these people were up there talking to you know, Bruce Dern, Laura Dern, um, you know, Jeff Bridges, talking about how he really nurtured them and told them, you know, gave them the right kind of advice about finding their own their own voice. And it was it was very I always find this show really inspirational. But of course, what I'm doing is running around right. because it's like shooting fish in a barrel. Right. Every well, it, single Oscar contender is in the room. It, well, it's know? funny. It's like every, everybody gets to kind of hang out and drink and have fun and then get hassled by you in the middle of it all. They. This is the one night where I'm I'm like the belle of the ball. They all want, come to our table. Come over and say hi to so-and-so. You know, they want to be in the story. It's like, you know, it's the way it is. So, so who, is. who wowed you? Who did you? Who did well, you see? but it's all it's other things too. There was a different, more somber kind of real post-election hangover feeling there too, and and it was it was uh, Cheryl Boone Isaacs, really the president of the Academy, talked about this new program for uh, you know bringing in more more inclusion and and you know really urging everyone to take a chance on people who are new and and broaden your spectrum of of diversity across the board, and I think. That that the Academy right now in this Trump universe is going to be more than happy to double down on that. Yeah, it's funny. It's like, you know, we have a showman for a president, but the show business does not want anything to do with him. But but they're going to, but this post-election, you can feel that a movie like Fences, where the whole cast was there except for Denzel, uh, where a movie like uh, Moonlight, where, you know, every, right. every, Mahershala Ali was there. and It's the and ultimate contrast to Barry what, what Jenkins the new Jenkins no, So these movies were doing fine already. These right. are all movies that are going to get nominated. They're all going to do very well. This is not like all of a sudden they're going to take a movie that they wouldn't have liked and hold it up in know, a new way yeah. pull it up right. hidden figures is playing very well now in this sort of post well that i can see that universe can see. so 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 they're gonna they're gonna i think they're gonna double down you know someone like bradford young the cinematographer of of arrival you know they're 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 gonna they're gonna be really sending a message this year for sure so, on, on deserving people i'm not you know no one's getting it's just gonna is La La Land the one they're going to go for, the escapist movie? Right. Or are they going to go with Gravitas? Yeah, we talked about this last week. I mean, escapism is appreciated, too, but there are certainly options that offer that happy medium, too. The, the, 
Which might of, be fences right, in a weird way, right, I, right. I think. Um, and 20th Century Women, um, which which uh, Annette Benning and Greta Gerwig and Mike Mills were, were, were there, um, I, that is an example of a movie that's so beautifully uh, inclusive of, of many different great women and in, in, in this sort of unique creation of Mike Mills. Um, I was so thinking I was, about this movie recently, actually, because there's a great scene there where, where uh, Carter gives that famous speech about right, it, it has a political bent yeah. to it now. And, and, yeah, and the that that speech is like it's on TV, and this whole family of sorts is watching it from different generations. Nineteen seventy nine, right? And and you have some of the younger people in the room watching it, and their response is, "Man, that guy is so screwed because he gives this really sensitive speech, and he's just going to ruin his career." He right. was out, on and then Annette Benning, but then Annette Benning's character, who's this child of the Depression, is like. But I thought that was such a beautiful speech, you know. That was, and it was me. Just, that was me at right. the time. I remember all my liberal friends and I thought he was it was great, and he was telling the truth, and it was so authentic, and it was exactly what's wrong with everything. And and at the time, given the zeitgeist of that period, he was out on his ass. Right. Ever, he was just setting himself okay, up for rejection. The men right. didn't like it. The men didn't right. want him to be weak. Sensitive. They didn't yeah. want him to be sensitive. They didn't want him to be intuitive. They didn't want him to be spiritual which right. is what he was so all, all of a sudden this movie is, is much more contemporary in a way that it wasn't just a few weeks ago right and it's kind of jarring i also think it's interesting so i'm actually down in key west right now the key west film festival which i've been going to for four years and it opened last night with 20th century women and wasn't sold out um the movie hasn't played around a ton yet it, it premiered in new york film festival and i think the hype hasn't completely been turned on. They're doing sense. the work now. I mean, they're in L.A. I went and interviewed Annette Bening yesterday, and I did Greta Gerwig today, as as we say in the trade. Right. Um, and Mike Mills is going to come to my class later on. So, so, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. It doesn't open uh, for a while. It's in that, mo- that space in between something like Moonlight, which has been out a while, is doing really well, hype is, is strong, and then, you know, uh, Fences, which nobody's seen yet, or uh, nobody's talking about the fact that they've seen I've it yet. I've seen it. You see it. You, well, well, you're somebody, I but you can't... I can say, as an awards person, I can say that that movie's going to be a very strong contender for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actress, and maybe several supporting actors. And Stephen Henderson seems to be the one who's, who's getting the most buzz right but now. I thought it I'm might saying. be McKelty Williams. You see what but... I'm saying, though, is, it, is that, that even though you could say that now, that movie is still sort of under wraps in the sense that the reviews aren't out there. It hasn't screened You're thinking of it much. as a critic. You're, well, of course, you're, I, you're I, not I, I am to in, review in, the movie. I, I am not. I can say, but I can it's say also, that the other person who has a good shot is the woman cinematographer from Denmark, you know? And, and there's several movies. There, Bill Deswith just did a story that went up today where, where there's several movies, uh, women cinematographers, and, and who, they've never nominated a woman cinematographer ever. And they've only nominated one uh, person of, of African descent, uh, this guy who, who uh, was the DP on Elizabeth from, from Britain. Um, so the irony there is that Ellen Kuras, who's one of the great American cinematographers, was nominated for directing a documentary a couple of years ago for Nara right. Queen. But she she's and never Kirk, been a, and, 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 and Kirsten Johnson could be could, a could for a camera, for a camera person. person. Yeah, absolutely. I saw her around. She she got a she's uh, being uh, appreciated by the Doc NYC crowd this past week. That movie's still getting a lot of momentum and support. 
Um, I think it's going to go all the way. Which is super one. cool, I mean, for such an experimental project. I have to say, I mean, from on the spectrum from, you know, the, the fences, 20th century woman kind of a film to the camera person kind of a film, you're, you're seeing a lot of really expressive movies about the complexities of the world we're in right now for this season. It's, it's, there's not a lot of, outside of La La Land, pure escapism. And that's actually kind of exciting because it means that we've got a lot of different topics to deal with and we're going to be stuck with them for a couple more months. Um, so at least there's some substance in that sense. Um, but the other- So speaking of something with no substance whatsoever, I could tell you that one movie that's going to do an amazing, amazing... Um, amazing amount of box office is is the uh fantastic beasts which is That's opening this ultimate week ultimate escape did you well, see that one so fantastic beasts i i liked it quite a bit actually more than a lot of people um but what i thought was interesting about it was that it does have substance to it it's set in 1920s new york it has to do with uh bizarre international tensions between the american and uk wizarding uh governments and and the kind of secretive wheelings and dealings that they have to deal with there there are some there are some sort of parallels to the way that um kind of these different conspiratorial forces operate in the kind of the underground world of of wizarding is is really interesting because there's a mythology to it you know jk rowling built that up this is the first time she's written a screenplay basically with original material because the book that she wrote was just sort of a compendium of supernatural beings, and this is an this is a, an original story. Eddie Redmayne, really fun to watch, some great He's CGI really good stuff, in super it. imaginative. I, I think that was a very, a, I mean, a deceptively difficult role to play, and he played it really charmingly. I have to say, I mean, with a great deal of and uh, you know, sort of mystery. It's everybody in the movie is really enjoyable, and the the world that they built up is consistent with the Harry Potter world, but it, it has a different vibe in the sense that it's more, it's, it's a more contained story. You know, it's kind of like all, you know, Redmayne is this kind of goofy animal conservationist whose supernatural critters get loose and they have to contain them, you know, in New York, <laughs> in New York, period, New York. Yeah. And, and, and very entertaining. It's incredibly. Fun. Enter- so he has to chase them down. He's got a cohort, a sidekick, uh, a possible romantic interest played very well by Catherine Waterston. She's a real movie star, this girl. Yeah, I feel like she could go on the sort of uh, Carrie Mulligan route and really tackle Absolutely. Some, some, no some, question. Some... It's that kind of slash uh, good actress, really smart with not too beautiful, but beautiful enough, if, if, if that makes sense. I also like Dan Fogler, who's generally known for kind he of was broad, delightful. silly. He's usually broad, silly comedies, but he plays this, the one kind of normal human, which we never really got to see in the normal Harry Potter movies because they're, that's just a different universe. They're usually kind of push to the side and he's a main character and the way that they fold him in I think is pretty well done it I, having not seen Rogue One yet I don't know if it's like the Hollywood blockbuster of the year but to me of it was a really bad summer for big CGI driven movies this this one feels like it's much smarter and polished I have some issues with you know the messy third act but I mean you take what you can get with this kind of movie you know it's not it's not always the kind of thing I get excited about but I just loved how detailed it was the, the world is exciting performances are strong and I think uh, also it, it plays to a lot of different sensibilities which is not an easy thing to pull off as, as you can imagine well there's one section where um, you know the world the hidden world of the fantastic beasts is revealed that is just magical 
It's one of the most beautiful sequences I've ever seen in a movie. Whoa. And if this is careful, Anne, you might wind up in a trailer saying stuff like that. If there, if this isn't a contender for VFX, um, I don't know what is. I would so. love to hear what the VFX community thinks about it. It's worth asking because it, one thing I will say about it, it does look really beautiful. It also looks like CGI. It doesn't look of real. Of course it's, it's CGI. Not, well, but That's it's not, what VFX are. But it's but not it's, it's Avatar. Animation. Yeah, it's, it's animation. It's called animation. But you're it's seeing called... live action people interact with animation. It looks yes. like animation. It's like it Jungle Book, in right. effect. Yeah, well, most of these Jungle movies are. Better. That's Jungle, what they are. But Jungle Book actually, I think, looked better. I mean, it was more realistic. Whether or not this should be realistic, because these are kind of cartoonish beings. Why and, would know, it be realistic? I, I, I mean, what, what I'm saying is that... These are fantastic a, beasts right. in a fantastic imaginary right, then, universe that has nothing to do with reality. The part that's real is how they interact with New York City in, in the live-action section of this movie. Well, the section we're with, describing is the sort of it's, contained it's completely fantasy contained. section. Right. And, yeah. and that's a harder thing, actually, to make it into. It's more like world. it's more like Avat. It's more like um, Pandora, right. if you like. But, but but Avatar, I thought, looked more real. I mean, that was a, that was a more sophisticated technology in some ways. I mean, well, he created a world right. that you could be immersed in. Exactly. This exactly. is just a, a a fantasy universe right. for the, the for this section. Anyway, I believe I believe this will be a contender for VFX, um, and we we will we we shall see if if maybe production design would be in there too um i think it's pretty stunning um that's a nice december surprise of sorts like hey that that one we weren't talking about that one that much but but can... it's all the same people who did harry potter so i mean it's literally the same producers the same uh, the same director uh, the same writer you know so it, it makes sense that they would have delivered this on a very 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 expensive level but they know how to do that universe the one caveat of course is that they're planning five films the movie ends with little details about what the next film might be focusing on and when when you're in that kind of situation you just never know is this gonna keep going or is it even necessary to keep going you don't have an option i mean i was so upset with bad santa too because it just felt like it was so unnecessary just regurgitating the same things over and over again it's not quite the same thing here but you wonder when People plot things out with that many movies and they build a really complex world. To what extent can they continue to find something fresh to put in it? And, and when does it kind of just run out of gas? You know? Right. So that will right. be an issue. I mean, it's like it took us 15 years or something like that to get through all those seven Harry Potter movies and they kept them going. But now they got another half decade or plus of, of more from, from this, this kind of addition to the franchise. So we'll see how it goes. It's a pretty good start. And um, it'll be interesting to compare it to Rogue One and that, that other approach to um, kind of a prequel of, of sorts to the Star Wars series um, on a totally different scale. A movie opening this week that I liked quite a bit is Edge of Seventeen, which, which is... Which I still uh, haven't seen. This is one of those movies where I, every time I have booked screening after screening after screening, and half of them are in the daytime, which is a pain in the ass because I... I end up not being able to go. Because L.A. Go. is hard, man. you got to drive places. That's why I love New York. <laughs> you just walk out of your so office. So I hear, I hear Haley Steinfeld is good. Tell, she's us, so, tell us about She's it. so good. I mean, look, it's a, what an amazing career. And it's directed career. by a woman. Six, right? six years ago, she started her career in True Grit. And, and, and now she has gotten to the point where she can do the edgy teen role, which uh, obviously... Many young women get offered these kinds of roles at a certain stage of their career, but she chose to go with this first-time filmmaker, Kelly Freeman Craig, who also wrote it. James L. Brooks sort of discovered her in much the same way he did Wes Anderson with Bottle Rocket, and um, it's a it's a 
pretty straightforward story of this teen girl whose dad dies when she's young, and she's kind of disgruntled, she kind of sort of bonds with Woody Harrelson, who plays her smarmy high school teacher. Um, not a ton of original stuff happens in this movie, and I wouldn't even say that the movie is that innovative in terms of where it goes narratively, but... I will say that she is she takes it to another level. I mean, it's a, from the first scene, you see her face, the way that she evokes the kind of ferocity of this character who's just so pissed at her world. She doesn't she can't stand her mom. She's annoyed with her older brother who starts dating her best friend. Uh, she doesn't want to, you know, graduate college and think about what she wants to do with her life because everything's just kind of you know, boring and, and sad, and, and she's looking for a boyfriend, but the one guy who's into her seems kind of less exciting to her, and it's it's pretty traditional stuff, but she she's so uh, just, uh, I, it's, it's really hard to describe, it's like a firecracker, like she doesn't stop moving, her, her eyes are always darting around, and so the moment she walked in the frame, I was like, oh, this is a this is a genuine performance. This is not somebody just paying lip service to you know a solid but familiar coming of age story. And so she really elevates it in a way that caught me off guard. And this movie closes the Toronto International Film Festival. It's not the kind of slot or the sort of timing where you assume a movie like this would just sort of burst out. But it's it's really satisfying in a way that I wasn't expecting uh, to see. And you know she has done some interesting stuff over the years. She's experimented with some bigger movies. She started in a bigger movie, and she's in the next Pitch Perfect, uh, and she picked Perfect 3, and she was in the last one. But she also did The Keeping Room, and she did 10,000 Saints. And I think what we're seeing is a really interesting actress who's who's sort of uh, swinging from these bigger projects to, to smaller ones in a way that is, so far seems to be benefiting her quite well. And this is, in my estimation, the best, example yet of, of what she can pull off so i hope you've that, been telling me to see yeah, this I, hope, I know you have and, and you think I, she and was I at want the to, but tell me how good the director is the direction it's fine i mean it's it really it, it, it's it's just it's sturdy it's a very familiar kind of story but it, it doesn't really hit a lot of wrong beats in the sense that it never gets overly melodramatic it doesn't get to that point where two people have to have a heart a heart that just sort of explains everything that it needs to be laid out. There's a lot that's implied. It gets fairly dark. It's vulgar. Um, without how, you know, how do you think the uh, how do you think James L. Brooks impacted the film? Well, I again, I mean, I think it's just a very polished screenplay, and the, and and he is a he's a smart producer. He's been at this for a long time. Um, you know, you look at something like The Simpsons. I talked to him last week for a story that I'm working on, and um, he noted that you know The Simpsons office is right up right by his, and um, I think. It's interesting to think about, even though Matt Groening created that show, that James L. Brooks may be sort of uh, the guiding force behind the ongoing soul of it, because Brooks is a great filmmaker when it comes to just sort of depictions of American life and the kind of ethos that dictate how people behave. And I think this yep, movie that is, is right. This is this is an example of that in some ways. It just it feels like it's this is what suburban America is for a young person. It's not political. It's not. Uh, you know, uh, cynical. Even it's it's more just kind of like annoying, and and kind of that mundanity creates the, these really interesting kinds of characters who feel trapped by you know a world based in routine, and and I think that's the essence of this performance too. So it's a really sturdy debut, and I would I would have to assume that this filmmaker is is going to continue to do some really interesting stuff. So it's 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 a it's a great discovery for the end of the year. I wish I had seen it sooner. I mean, it's the kind of thing that I think if it had been released earlier this year, it could have continued to gain buzz. You know, it would have been a good entry for the new directors. 
new film series or something like that. But um, I hope people check it out because uh, it, it, it's it's a nice discovery. And and I would assume that uh, it, in theory, it could be she could be an underdog in a very competitive Best Actress race because STX if it is were putting it such out. Such an incredibly fierce. I mean, I've been debating who's going to be. Isabel Hubert could get in or she couldn't, you know, uh, who's going to get knocked out? I mean, we've got so many incredible actors there that, that I can't, I can't see, I still have to see the movie, but I, I can't, I don't know how she knocks out Natalie Portman or Amy Adams or, or Annette, Annette Benning. Benning. Well, that's the Holy Emma Trinity. Emma Stone. Right I mean, how do you, how do you compete with that? I mean, but the know? first, even Emma Stone, it seems like it's hard to, I mean, with the, the first three that you mentioned there, right? That that's that's quite a holy trinity, you know. I mean, especially with Annette Bening being on the road with Warren Beatty, right? I mean, it's like she she's she's a pretty tough one to to get past. And then everyone loves Natalie Portman. She's won once before, but she's getting to that point where people don't necessarily care. Um, and then Arrival is doing really great, and Amy Adams has been nominated before, and, and some people Five may say times. it's Yeah, I mean, that's Five crazy. Five times. And yeah, the other crazy. thing about Arrival that's worth noting is that Arrival opened on her carrying the movie. The thing that people don't you know, necessarily remember is that it's not that frequent that a woman is carrying a movie in the leading role that isn't a like a romantic comedy with Julia Roberts or some Meg Ryan or something like that. And so she's actually carrying this movie and opening it herself. And that means she's a movie star. And that means that, that she's in a different category now. She's like a Jennifer Lawrence. And don't forget, she's in another movie that happens to be opening this week as well. It's quite a weekend. I mean, Nocturnal Animals. That's uh, right. Which is a completely different kind of Amy Adams performance. Um, I, I kind of like it more, to be honest with you, because it's just She's so... She's good in it. I mean, that's yeah. not the issue with why I'm not no, so the movie, the is, movie. the movie is a it's bit of a mess. It's very schizophrenic, it's, this movie. I mean, intentionally so, but it's it's, it's a little misguided in the, in the approach it takes. It's kind of story within a story. is the word I would Well, use. I don't believe in that word, but uh, I understand why what you not? mean. Why not? What's I think, wrong okay, with it? So, so Affected, I will put this out. Yeah. precious... Uh, no, not precious. Uh, I think that it's... it's self-conscious. Yes. It's overambitious, perhaps. I think anything creative is inherently pretentious. Like, oh, I made something. You people have to process it. Deal. Here's with what it. I mean. What I mean is that he thinks that he's that he, he's he's done something very ambitious. You were correct. He's taken these two very different stories. He's both put them together. It's very personal, and it is resonant. It is a story that that stays with you, and you think about it because he leaves so many things unanswered in terms of why one story relates to the other and what it reveals about him. The filmmaker. It's really about him. Sure. And and I think perhaps that narcissism. There's something about it that rubs me the wrong way, and I've been really trying to figure out what it is. I think the the, the problem with this movie is that essentially, it's, so you have Amy Adams playing the, this kind of uh, vacant art dealer of sorts, and her ex-husband. Obsessed her. with material things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And style. Very superficial. Like the man who made the movie, Tom it, Ford. Yeah, yeah. And, and she gets this screenplay from her ex, and it's kind of an analogy for their breakup or an allegory. And, and it's or that. Or a revenge fantasy. Yeah, and the reven yeah, and the revenge fantasy is Jake Villenhall in this kind of B-movie, Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of thing. And it's, it's like a rape-revenge story of sorts. And uh, He's like an effectless passive kind of guy right. he's not able to be a macho guy so i think i think she's also like the filmmaker the, the problem Texas. here's the problem with that approach i think it damns it from the beginning is that when that device clicks into place in the first act 
you know exactly what kind of movie you're going to be watching and it never breaks out of that mold. You're just kind of stuck with it. And I don't think there's anything that can happen at that point that could surprise you. And he doesn't really surprise you. I mean, it's just Because sort he's of... doing two different kinds of movies. One is this very, uh, you know, effete kind of, you know, exercise and style, very, very controlled. And you know that when Kate, um, when, when Amy Adams is, is lying on the bed that he's folding the sheets and molding her to look just a certain way and draping her hair. I don't care about that stuff, though. Very I mean, that's controlling like, about that. I, I, and then the other movie is this hot, right. baked, violent, sure. masculine, you know, kind that's, of exercise, that's too. That's fine. The, the, I mean, world building or whatever. I mean, he's an incredible visual stylist, and you have to give that to him. I think the movie succeeds on that front. It's just from a narrative perspective. No, it, it's not if too, it's fake. It's too blunt. Not if you don't believe any of it. If I'm watching a movie and I'm watching the fact that the director draped the actress's hair in just such a way, I'm distracted from, well, from what might have been real. I, I, obviously, you're not a fan of Matthew Barney. What can I say? No, if it's over. a different piece of conceptual <laughs> art, if it's a different kind of thing, that's different. Well, that's, that's I, I, what I'm, we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, but here. I, I'm okay with it, it sort of bleeding into it. I mean, I think on some level, it's like if he wants to overstylize the story about this woman and sensationalize the kind of cultivated nature of her reality, that I'm totally on board with that. I could have watched a movie just in her world, and I think it would have vastly improved it. I think what's wrong about this movie, or what, what's, a, what's an error, is that you know, this kind of cross-cutting approach is something we've been seen since Intolerance. It's not that original. It's just, it, I just think it was a wrong idea to tell the story in this way because it, I agree. it, it weakens I, I it. I totally agree with you. So we got all the way towards the end of our time, and we haven't even talked about Bleed for this, which I've been avoiding ever since I, I heard about it at Telluride, but you're you're pretty confident this one's not going to really stick around in the conversation. No, I, I, basically, my objection to the movie, it, it's perfectly well-made, perfectly well-written, directed, acted. You know, there's no fault to be found with it as far as it being a reasonably good movie. It's just not uh, a home run. And in our world, you know, if you've seen the boxing tropes, you know, the, the there's a th I think what I don't like about the movie is that what it, the movie is is making the Miles Teller character, the fighter, uh, based on a true story. Vinny Casenza, is that his name? Yeah. Um, he is, uh, you know, commended for break. You know, he's so monomaniacal. He's so driven to, 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 even though he's been injured, even though his neck has been you know, hurt, that he's going to go back to the ring and, and, and fight again. And so uh, the, the trainer played by Aaron Eckhart helps him and the, there are various women and family members who, who are supporting him or not supporting him, but he does it anyway. And he, I find it, it's one of those things where I look at it and I go, you idiot. What the hell are you doing? You're crazy. You Which know, the is, way you feel about someone like, you know, the, the Olympic swimmers who, who, who obsess to get where they get. You know, right. it's the same thing. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a ringing endorsement in any case. So No, but it doesn't a, take the fight movie to a place where, where it's been reinvented. Right. That's all. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a standard issue fight movie, and the actors are fine. And I thought Aaron Eckhart totally delivered in a great role in the supporting role of the coach and he could get nominated you never know with that guy he's also pretty solid and, and so we so well but they feed each other so exactly. it helps
So next week, we'll come back together. You can tell us a little bit more about some stuff you saw at AFI Fest. We got Moana opening. We got Bad Santa 2 opening. I'm not going to waste much more time on that, but Lions coming out allied. We can finally talk about Fences because all have seen it, and then I can give you my critical opinion. So God forbid. <laughs> it's now, a real you, thing. Did you see, are they screening Patriots Day in New York? They will be screening it. I know that you, you're going to get a chance I'm to see it. I'm seeing it tonight. Night. They, and they, then are they screening They Live By Night? I mean, I always do this because yes. there's a classic movie they, called They Live By Night. Yes. Live By Night for, by Ben Affleck. Is Very that different. Being Live By Night will be screening and so hopefully we'll be able to talk about it. You never know how Because we had one this week us. but it was up against my class. So oh. I could, last night it screened here. Just so everyone knows. Anne has a good excuse when she misses important screenings so but you will sometimes. get a chance to see <laughs> sometimes and uh and we'll, we'll we'll dig into whatever we can next time until then enjoy the peter berg movie at afi fest there. thank you it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.